Welcome to Broken But Not Divided with Andrew Youssef. This is a listener-supported production of Humanity Vivified. To learn more about Humanity Vivified, please visit www.andrewyousef.ca. Christ is risen. If you listened to the last episode, you would know why I start each episode with the Pascha or Easter greeting. If not, then head over to the last episode titled, The Pilot Episode. Today's episode is titled, What are Controversies? I'll start with a quote from Elif Shafak. She once said in her book, The 40 Rules of Love, the following. Most of the problems of the world stem from linguistic mistakes and simple misunderstandings. Don't ever take words at face value. When you step into the zone of love, languages as we know it become obsolete. That which cannot be put into words can only be grasped through silence. End quote. I know it's somewhat strange to start an episode on controversies from a Christian perspective with a quote from a novel about Sufi Islam, which is the more mystical side of Islam. I chose to go with it anyways because it could be helpful if we accept the fact that at times controversies can be easily resolvable. Sometimes they only exist in as much as semantics and words are concerned. Sometimes they only exist in our minds, and that's essentially all there is to them. Theological controversies sometimes cannot be resolved through words. Many times there is no single formulation that will capture the fullness of truth. There are times, and I'd argue most of the times, when the greatest way of doing theology is not to talk about it among ourselves, but rather contemplate the whole mystery in silence before God in our icon corner. But since this podcast is about controversies and it does not make sense to make a podcast in which we contemplate God in silence, let's actually look at theological controversies. I think there are three types of controversies or disagreements. So there are disagreements on practice, disagreements on semantics, and disagreements on substance. Let's look at each one of them. So the first is going to be disagreements on practice. These are the least concerning of disagreements that they can even be called diverse practices rather than disagreements. These include when you celebrate liturgical feasts. Are you on the old or new calendar? What time your liturgy starts? 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. or 10 a.m.? How long your vigils are? So should you have it for the entire night or just have a condensed version in the, in the world parish rather than the monastery? What kind of vestments you wear and what colors correspond to what seasons? And so on. So there are two important things that must be remembered about these diverse practices. First, they are never a basis for schism. However, human stubbornness can make them become a basis for schism. Uh, For example, the Eastern and Western churches that came to be known as Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church had many disagreements that were on substance or that were simply questions of semantics. But when they went into schism, they fought over whether Eucharistic bread should be leavened or not, and whether priests should grow a beard or not. Yeah, you heard that one right. Like, seriously, these were things that were written down on paper as problems that had to be overcome, or else they would go into schism. Spoiler alert, they actually do go into schism, but it was not just because of these reasons, to be fair. Another spoiler alert, we will talk about aspects of East-West schism in future seasons. Eventually, though, some jurisdictions got over it. Today, we have Eastern Rite Catholics and Western Rite Orthodox. We even have some Orthodox priests without 
beards. How scandalous. Sometimes people manage to live with diverse liturgical practices, even if they are not that comfortable with them. A good example of that would be the Oriental Orthodox churches. So Copts, Syrians, Ethiopians, and Armenians have their distinct rites with different liturgies and different hymns. They celebrate Christmas and Easter in different calendars sometimes, or maybe I should say all the times. Like Armenians, for example, never have Easter with the rest of Oriental Orthodox churches. Uh, Christmas can be celebrated on the 25th if you're, if you're Syriac, but on the 7th if you're Coptic or Ethiopian and so on. So, in practical terms, is it hard when you go visit another church? Well, yes. But can you live with it? Also, yes. Sometimes you can even enjoy it. I often attend the Syriac Orthodox Church because I'm in love with their liturgy, even though I was born and raised in the Coptic Orthodox Church. So, that's about everything I have on disagreements on practice. Now, let's move to something that's a bit more complex, which is disagreements on semantics. So, these tend to be either disagreements on words and what they mean, and those will often be the philosophical words or terms, or it can refer to the use of words to satisfy human curiosity rather than actually praying. So fighting over which word describes something best instead of just realizing that no word will ever be sufficient and just praying. So when we run after formulations, we're usually looking for ways to run away from prayers. It's always easier to verbally fight among ourselves than it is to pray. And that's true of church history too. And it's true of today. I mean, if you don't believe me, head over to Facebook or Twitter and look at how Christians fight among themselves. But if we go a little back on time, actually a lot back in time, uh, to the time of St. Athanasius the Great of Alexandria, when the Arian controversy was taking place. So Arius believed that the Son of God was of a similar but lesser essence than the Father, as he's considered the Son to have been created in time, the most important of creation, but created nevertheless. So after a lengthy series of controversies and debates and back and forth, the Council of Nicaea settled on the definition of faith, which we recite in the liturgy now, starting with we believe in one God, God the Father. But back then it stopped at uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the rest of it came to be formulated in Constantinople about 50 years later. Um, maybe a bit more than that, actually. So they settled on insisting on the divinity of Christ using the term homoousius, meaning of the same essence. Uh, the word was used in a very orthodox way to affirm the identity of essence between the Father and the Son. So they are equal in divinity, and that's all that word is really trying to communicate. However, the problem was that there was a backstory to this term. A century earlier, there was a man called Paul of Samosata, a bishop of Antioch, he used the word homoousius, but unfortunately he gave it a very heretical interpretation that was actually condemned by a local council. So, understandably, this made it difficult for some of the faithful to accept the term. So, St. Athanasius sat with them and clarified misconception, and he received them in communion, despite their aversion to using the term homoousius. Of course, eventually they came to accept it, but at the time when St. Athanasius received them into communion, they just couldn't put up with the term. And St. Athanasius came to the conclusion that it is not fit for those who disagree on terms to be divided if they have the same mind and same understanding of terms. Uh, these are certainly no ground for schism. But 
for now, let's just turn to real disagreements. We're going to talk more about semantic disagreements as the episodes come and go. Um, but yeah, let's let's head over to disagreements on substance. I want to make this more controversial. I can't agree with Andrew Moore. I can't disagree with Andrew Moore. If any of these sentences describe you, head over to www.patreon.com slash humanityvivified, where you can participate in the private discussion forum of this podcast, read and listen to exclusive content. Now, let's go back to today's episode. These are actually disagreements, like they really mean something. Before we get into that, let us look at the words of St. Basil the Great in a homily on nativity, where he's answering a question he got quite often about the nature of the humanity of Christ. So St. Basil says, the Magi worship him, that is Jesus, and the Christians argue. How can God come in flesh? And what is the nature of that flesh? Has he acquired for himself a whole or an incomplete man? Let us keep silence in church before God's transcendent matters. Let us praise the realities of our faith and not inquire excessively about what should be revered in silence. End quote. The words of Basil here are to be understood as an admonition from a bishop to his congregation, which is supposed to pray the liturgy of nativity, rather than worry about dogma and theology. These are also people who are mostly uneducated in matters of theology, and are very often simply illiterate. Now, this does not mean that Basil did not value these questions, and it doesn't mean that he didn't see how they mattered when discussed among theologians and bishops. Simply put, Basil knew there was a time and place for everything. That is why the same Basil, when he writes rather than gives sermons to a common audience and mostly illiterate people, he says something like the following quote, it is offered to us to become like God, as much as human nature allows. Likeness to God, however, cannot be had without knowledge, and knowledge comes from teaching. Speech, though, is the beginning of teaching, and the parts of speech are syllables and words. So the investigation of syllables does not fall outside the goal of our calling. So this quote is from his book on the Holy Spirit. Here it is obvious that Basil sees a value to words and terms when the disagreement has an actual value and impacts people's understanding of salvation. It's just that there is a difference between what is to be discussed publicly in a sermon and what is to be discussed or read privately among bishops. Now in the day and age of the internet, this can be quite a challenge. But this mattered a lot to the fathers. The mode of the discussion was very much a crucial aspect of the discussion. When the matter had to do with the divinity of the Spirit, Basil saw words and terms to be at the heart of the Christian calling. When Basil also saw the Apollinarian heresy of denying the existence of a rational faculty in the mind of Christ, like his, his human mind, which is to say the noose, the same Basil who's admonishing his congregants to silently adore the newly born king is the same Basil who did everything he could to oppose Apollinarianism and point out how it's a theologically flawed paradigm. It was worth the fight, and thank God he went through that fight because no one today is Apollinarian. This is thanks to Basil, his brother Gregory of Nyssa, and his best friend Gregory Nazianzus, known as Gregory the Theologian. So 
Church history is filled with controversies. Some were resolved, some were not resolved. Over the next episode, we'll explore two controversies from church history that were resolved. We will look at how controversial they really were, and how they were resolved, and what was the outcome of them being resolved. Like, did the church really live happily ever after when these controversies were resolved? We'll see. But for now, let me leave you with another quote by Basil the Great to think about. I think there is a Basil trend here. I love Basil the Great, in case you can't tell. But anyways, the following quote comes from a letter he wrote about the controversy surrounding the Holy Spirit. Look at how easy he makes it for church unity to be reached again and for the controversy to end. In case you thought the fathers were angry and pessimistic fundamentalists, listen to this quote as it might change your opinion a little bit. Basil writes in a letter to the presbyters of Tarsus. Union would be effected if we were willing to accommodate ourselves to the weaker, where we can do so without injury to souls. Let us then seek no more than this, but propose to all the brethren who are willing to join us the Nicene Creed. If they assent to that, let us further require that the Holy Spirit ought not to be called a creature, nor any of those who say so be received into communion. I do not think that we ought to insist upon anything beyond this, for I am convinced that by longer communication and mutual experience, without strife, if anything more requires to be added by way of explanation, the Lord who works all things together for good for them that love him will grant it. Consider rating this episode on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're feeling generous, consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.ca slash humanityvivified. Until the next episode, Christ is risen.